Take a Bible and turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. And let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning that we can come together to spend time around your word, to explore, Father God, the truths that are contained herein, knowing that, Father, that you gave your word through inspiration that we might receive from you a glimpse of you. We might understand the need of salvation. We might understand that Christ is our Savior and understand, Father God, how we then should live in accordance with that salvation that we received so richly and so freely by your grace. Lord, as we open up your word this morning, may we glean from it the precious truths that you have for us. May we have an understanding of your word, an understanding of its truth, but more importantly, Father God, may each and every one of us apply it to our hearts and practice it in our lives through the power of the Spirit, that, Father God, you might be exalted and you might be praised. Give me wisdom, Father God, I pray, and use me, I pray. Allow me, Father God, today to be a blessing and we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory as we come to your word now this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. When we were considering the first two verses of Romans chapter 12, we saw that they gave a summary of the whole of the remainder of the teaching of this great epistle, this book to the Romans. Martin Lloyd-Jones made this comment. He said, Doctrine is not something merely to be contemplated intellectually. It is something to be applied, something to be put into practice. As we come to Romans chapter 12 and following, we've come to the section whereby we are challenged by God to put into practice the doctrine of the previous chapters. And there is no point to our knowledge of doctrine unless it leads to a change in our lives. You know, to have all this head knowledge, to know all this doctrine, to know what the Bible teaches, but then not have it applied to our hearts and not to live in our lives is a pointless exercise. It becomes just religious ritualism. It doesn't become genuine, true Christianity, living for Christ. So after giving us great motives for Christian living in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul moves on to deal with the believer's behavior in the church. In Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 13. Sorry, 3 through 13. Today we come to Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Here the apostle continues to deal with their attitude to our calling as Christians. Martin Lord Jones again quotes, uh, quoting him, he says this, he he deals with how we do our work, the spirit in which we do it, and he puts it in these ringing words, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. You know, every one of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior are members of the body of Christ. And therefore we must ask the question, how are we to function within that body? How are we to do the work which God has called us to do? Romans chapter 12 and verse 11 gives us part of that answer. This verse contains three commands. And these three commands seem to go together, but we'll take them one at a time individually this morning. First of all, he says there in verse 11, not slothful in business. In the Greek, it's the other way around. The words actually say in business, not slothful. And this phrase here in verse 11 seems 
not to fit in the context of what he's been saying. I mean, verse 10, he said, Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope. Everything in this context is all about our relationship to other believers, and yet here he says, not slothful in business. Now, the glances seems to be take, talking about our work ethic. But that's not the case. That's not what he's talking about. It's not talking about our work ethic. This verse is not referring to secular business. It's not referring to our work at a supermarket or the work at a, uh, at a, you know, a uh, um, hardware store or a work at any shop, whatever it might be. It's referring to our Christian duties. That's the context of this passage. How are we to behave within the confines of the local church? Because he says in verse 9, let love be that dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave that which is good, be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love in honor of preferring one another. It's all about our relationship to each other within the church. So when he says not slothful in business, it seems out of context. Well, the problem is with the English word business. Because nowhere else in the New Testament is the Greek word translated business. This Greek word is never translated business anywhere else. Now, what they had in mind in 1611 when they wrote the King James, I have translated the King James, I don't know. And uh, they may have a bit different understanding of what business meant than what we know it means. But in every other place where this Greek word is found, it's translated differently. The Greek word is translated with diligence back in verse 8 of this chapter. It says, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with carefulness. It's the same Greek word, with diligence. It's also translated in other ways. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7, it's translated simply diligence. In 2 Corinthians 8, 8, it's translated forwardness. In 2 Corinthians 8, 16, it's translated earnest care. And that last translation of giving care, the idea of giving care, is also found in 2 Corinthians 7.12. Diligence, forwardness, care. Now what is in view here then, when he talks about not stopping business, the word business here, what's in view here, is our interest in each other. Our care for each other. What he is saying in this verse is that we're not to be slothful in our care for each other. Within the confines of the church, if you and I are going to show brotherly love one to another, preferring one another, we do that by showing our care one for another, by not being slothful in our care for one another. I mean, that's the context of this passage. And so while it's translated in business, not slothful, or not slothful in business, we've got to understand that he's talking about the context of the local church. It's the business of the local church. It's what we're doing as believers. It's our functionality within this body. And what we're to do is we're to make sure that we're not slothful in showing our care for each other. Now, a sloth speaks of laziness, of slackness. It's doing a thing half-heartedly. It's the opposite of being energetic. It's the opposite of being vigorous. And what we're told here is that we are not to be lazy in our care for each other. The word carries with the idea of zeal or enthusiasm. We're to be enthusiastic in our care for each other. We have zeal for looking after our fellow believers. The idea here then is never be lacking in zeal. 
Never come behind in showing enthusiasm in your care for each other. Paul puts it this way in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. He says, let us not be weary in well-doing. We're to go about our business of preferring one another, of showing brotherly love one to another and preferring one another in honor, as it says in verse 10. We're to do that with zeal and enthusiasm. As I said, we're not to be lazy in our care for each other. This interpretation is supported by Hebrews chapter 6. Go there with me, please. Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 8, we read this. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected as nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed towards his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of the hope unto the end, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Here the writer of Hebrews commends the Hebrews for their work, their labor of love in that they ministered to other saints. That's verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you've showed towards the name, his name, in that you minister to the saints and do minister. They showed their love by their labor towards other believers, by ministering to other believers' needs. Ministering or serving saints had required work and required labor. And the writer's desire was to show that they show the same diligence, it says in verse 12, that you be not, uh, sorry, verse 11, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. And the word diligence here in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 11 is the same Greek word as business in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. They were to show the same diligence to show the same care for the saints until the end. The care that they showed in verse 10, that they ministered to the saints in verse 10, the love they showed in verse 10 of Hebrews 6, they were challenged here to continue to do that diligently until Christ comes again. And in Hebrews 6.12, the writer tells them not to be slothful, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now the word slothful here means dull or sluggish. That is that we're not to be slow to show care. Hebrews chapter 6, in these verses, we have three of the concepts that are in Romans chapter 12 and verse 11. Love, diligence or business, and slothful. The two passages mean the same thing. The telling is the same thing. Not slothful in business means we're not to be slothful, lazy in our care for each other. Pastor Mitchell in his commentary in Romans put it this way. He says, not being slothful in business is doing right towards the church. Having sincere love one for another includes being quick to show care. 
quick to make that phone call, to be there when needed, or to make their visit to love indeed and, and in truth, or to talk to that person, to that little encouraging thing, to offer a help, to give, to help, to encourage. That's what it means to be not slothful in business. The challenge here is that you and I will be fast to respond to the cares and the needs of each other. So if we hear of someone is not well, or we're hearing someone is having trouble, that we respond quickly to their needs. Because that's practicing genuine biblical love. It's, it's practicing that brotherly love of chapter of verse 10, kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor of preferring one another. That's how we practice verse 10. By being quick to respond to the needs of fellow believers. Secondly, we're to be diligent in our care for each other and we are to be fervent in spirit. Fervent in spirit, verse 11. Not sovereign business, fervent in spirit. Once again, in the Greeks, the other way around, in spirit, fervent. The word spirit here is talking about our spirit. So in our inmost being, not talking about the Holy Spirit, it's talking about you and I as believers. It's that which has been made alive by God, that which has been quickened by the Spirit of God, that which relates to God, that which God's Spirit bears witness with. His Spirit bears witness with our Spirit, that we are the sons of God. It's that Spirit, that inmost being, that part of us, that is you and I, that's been quickened, been made alive in acknowledgement of God and has relationship with God. Our Spirit, our innermost being, is to be fervent. It's talking about the attitude of heart here. So we're not to be lazy in uh, uh, meeting the needs of others. We're not to be slothful in caring for one another. How do we do that? By being fervent in spirit. Fervent here means to boil, to be hot, to be boiling. We're challenged here to be on the boil in the spirit, in the context of love in the church. Our hearts are to be on fire with love for each other that's driven by our love for the Lord. That's why we are encouraged in church by the enthusiasm of others. When we come together and believers are excited about the things of the Lord, it's contagious. It encourages us. One of the reasons we come together as believers is so that we might get encouraged by each other. That's why we need fellowship. Because that's the only way that we keep each other hot for the things of the Lord. You know, uh, Pastor and I commented during the time of COVID. You know, in lockdown, we kept on our ministry. We kept on preaching every Sunday. And uh, you got to listen to the sermons. You got to be fed by the preaching of the word. Well, we hope you were fed by the preaching of the word. Every Sunday, you got to do that. But you know, there was a component lacking we weren't getting together. And church is as much about getting together as it is preaching the word. Because as iron sharpeneth iron, so the, a friend sharpeneth a friend. And enthusiasm of each other stirs each other up. The reason why we get together for fellowship is so we can keep each other hot for the things of the Lord. 
Pastor Mitchell put it this way, if you have a fire and you take one coal out, and even if it is red hot, because it's out of the fire and not in contact with the other coals, it gets cold. The only way to heat it up is to put it back in the fire. The only way to strengthen and to put the fire back into a cold Christian is to put him back in the fellowship. It always amazes me, you know, that when somebody's having a struggle with the Lord, the first thing to do is stop coming to church. Where the place they ought to be is in church. You see, staying home doesn't help you. It just makes you get cold. It's coming together that gets you hot. It's the fellowship together that keeps us hot. It's the encouragement we receive from each other that keeps us hot. And this was our biggest concern during COVID was not that you weren't getting fed, not that we weren't preaching the word, but it was we were not getting together as believers. Church is as much about fellowship as about teaching doctrine. That's what it says in Acts chapter 2, please. The early church, Acts chapter 2. Verse 41 says, Acts 2, 41, it says, then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And what did they do? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. The breaking bread and phrase. They continued steadfastly in fellowship. That's why Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembly of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but so much the more as you see the day approaching. Because fellowship is important. That's what he says here. He tells us, not slothful in business, fervent in spirits. We're to join together in church because it's vital. We owe it to each other. To be fervent in spirit. To be on the boil spiritually. Go with me to Acts chapter 18, if you would please. Acts 18. Because in Acts chapter 18, we read of someone who was fervent in spirit. Acts 18 is a great example of what I'm talking about, or what Paul's talking about in Romans 12, 11. Verse 24 of Acts 18 says, There's a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria. An eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, known only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him under them and expanded unto him the way of God more perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Cai, the brethren rode, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. He was diligent. It says in verse 25 that he spoke and taught diligently the things of the Lord. You know, here is Apollos. His fervent spirit brought about the desire to speak the things of the Lord. Because he was on fire for the Lord, he could not help himself but to speak the things of the Lord. And as he's preaching the word, it has a positive effect on people. And even when Aquila and Priscilla help him by teaching him to understand more, the thing he does with the knowledge he has is to go and encourage more people. He's on fire for the Lord. That's exactly what the phrase here in Romans 12, 11 is all about. 
We ought to have an attitude of zeal, of enthusiasm. We ought to be on fire for the Lord, never lacking in spiritual fervor. We ought to have a passion for God and a passion for each other. So it is usually used or applied to water or metals heated to the boiling point. And therefore it's used here to denote intensity. What we're challenged here in verse 12, verse 11 of chapter 12 is that you and I are to get on fire for the Lord and never lose that enthusiasm. You know, when John Wesley was kicked out of the Anglican Church for preaching the Bible, he went into the fields to preach. And although he was only 125 centimeters tall, he was a powerful preacher. On one occasion, halfway through his sermon, some drunken ruffians came carrying clubs determined to stop him preaching. As they approached, he didn't stop preaching in his normal, fervent, passionate, diligent style. As a result, the ruffians never stopped him. In fact, what they did was they stopped and listened to him, and many of them got saved. Or was it in John Wesley that allowed God to use him? He had a fire for God within his heart. He was on fire for the Lord. And our fellowship needs to be something that fires us up, not cools us down. We ought to be on fire for the Lord. We ought to serve the Lord with enthusiasm so that our enthusiasm will encourage other people. We'll encourage each other so that we stoke the fires of enthusiasm and faithfulness and diligence in the hearts of other believers so that when we leave here, we're built up in the faith. We're on fire for the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. So we can come back on Wednesday and get fired up again and enthused again and serve the Lord and come back on Sunday to get fired up and serve the Lord. That's what it's all about. As much as teaching of doctrine and instructing the saints. We ought to be on fire for the Lord and encourage one another by our enthusiasm. Paul has told us not to be slothful in business and that we're to be fervent in spirit. Now thirdly, we're told that we are to be serving the Lord in verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The word to serve here is the word which means to be a slave of. It's the Greek word doulos. It's the bond slave. Very simply, it means submitting to or obeying and serving the Savior. One commentator said this, if you've been born of, the, of his spirit, it's a privilege to be devoted to serving the Savior and others. What great love he has had for me. How could I not serve him? In this context is is understood that we are to be a slave to someone. We're to serve someone. That is that you and I are serving our Lord and Master. We're his bond slaves. We regard ourselves as the servants of the Lord. Second Corinthians chapter six, please. Second Corinthians chapter six. Sorry, wrong chapter. First Corinthians chapter six. Hmm. A typo in my notes there. First Corinthians chapter six. 
Verse 19. What know ye not that you are the body, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? For you're bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. We're bought with a price. We're his servants. And we're to be diligent and fervent in our service for the Lord. It says there in verse uh, 11, not sloth in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. We're to serve him. Now someone said serving is not burdensome for the believer. It's a privilege. Paul starts almost every one of his epistles by stating that he's the servant of God. He does it in Romans chapter 1 and verse 1. He says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called me apostle, separated from the gospel. The word servant is the word bond slave. Morris says this, there are several ancient Greek words used to designate a slave, but the idea behind the word for servant is complete and utter devotion. Paul recognized that he'd been purchased by the Lord, that he belonged to the Lord. He was his bond slave. He was his servant. Like Paul, you and I have been redeemed. We've been bought with a price. You and I have been ransomed from the slave market of sin. We've been set free by the payment of a ransom price. We don't deserve anything. You and I are what we are by the grace of God. And therefore, all that you and I truly can do, because of all that Christ has done for us, is to become his servant. To be the bond slave of the Lord. Serving the Lord. To serve the Lord with complete and utter devotion. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, He was the bond slave of Jesus Christ. A slave does not do anything for himself. He does, not, does it for his master. He has been bought. He has no right to think for himself or to think of himself or of his own interests, because he belongs entirely to the other. So we too should remember that we are serving the Lord. We're his servants. We're bought with a price. We belong to him. And we ought to serve him faithfully, daily. That's why Romans 12 challenges us to serve the Lord, not to serve self, not to serve our own plans, not to have our own desires, not to have our own wills, but to you and I to serve the Lord because he has saved us. We're his. Now in the context of demonstrating love in the fellowship of the local church, it means to take opportunities that arise to serve the Lord in the local body. Now that's the context you and I are to serve the Lord within the local church as his servants, as his bond slaves. We are to serve him in the context of Christian love, brotherly love, and preferring one another. You and I are to serve in the body. So that the body can function according to God's glory. Pastor Mitchell again said this very often. The way we can help and encourage each other is to get in the yoke to serve the Lord with someone who has been doing it themselves. It is a blessing when someone takes on the ministry responsibility. Serve the Lord alongside you. 
to take some of the burden. We ought to be willing when the opportunity is there to serve the Lord and his body. We ought to be willing to take up the reins, to spring into action, to take up the sword of the Lord. We ought to serve the Lord. It's all part of making sure that we are kindly affection one another, brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, not throttling business, fervent in spirit. We do all that while we serve the Lord. It's all part of showing love one to another. When you and I serve the Lord with enthusiasm, when you and I serve the Lord with joy, when you and I are serving the Lord together with fellow believers, it's a great encouragement. It's a great blessing. It builds us up in the faith. You know, some of, some of the good times in the office is having my son there and we get to talk to each other about things. It's, it's encouraging. It's a blessing. Some days we complain we've talked too much and not spent enough time doing the other things we should do and our wives remind us we're there to work, not to talk. But, uh, you know, it's good to be there together. Some days you get to stay at home, or I stay at home, and you kind of miss the fellowship. Something about the fellowship. You know, we were kind of blessed during COVID because we actually got to be with each other, get to see each other, got to fellowship with each other. And work alongside each other. And encourage each other. There's nothing greater. So these three exhortations of Romans 12, 11 go together. You could put it this way, in care for each other, not slothful, in spirit, fervent, in season, serving the Lord. You know, the church life is to be characterized by energy, by warmth, and by being a servant for the Lord. That's what church life is. If we each exercise and apply these things in the body of Christ, we'll build each other up. Our relationship with each other will be positive, encouraging, harmonious, and we will bring glory to God. So let me challenge each of us today. Let's strive by God's grace to live Romans 12, 11 daily for the Lord. Let's not be slothful in business. Let's be fervent in spirit. And let's serve the Lord for his glory. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for Romans chapter 12, verse 11. We thank you for the encouragement, Father God, that within the body of Christ we are to be excited about serving each other. That we're not to be slow in meeting the needs of each other. That we're to be zealous in that desire to be a blessing to others. That we will be on fire in our hearts so that enthusiasm might rub off on others and that we might roll up our sleeves and serve alongside each other for your glory. Father, this church might function according to your will and our testimony might be strong for your glory. Your will be done and your name will be lifted up. Commend your word to our hearts, we pray this day, and we thank you now for it. Blessed we close in Jesus' name.